Hello, Brian's and possibly not Brian's. This is all the Brian's where a Brian interviews Brian's. And this episode is brought to you by Brian Katzowitz, communication specialist of the CDC, who advises all Brian's to stay home and listen to Brian podcasts during global pandemics. So if there is a global pandemic happening when you listen to this episode, the expert medical advice is to stay home as you listen, close your eyes, and live vicariously through these sounds of Brian's conversing in the wild when it was safe to do so. Here's Brian. I'm Brian Petkoff. I uh, am a freelance director and producer amongst many other freelance things, editing and writing and all yeah. those other fun things. Uh, and you've gotten into the freelance world after it looks like like about over three years at The Onion or so. Yes. And, when, and we'll touch on what freelancing in Chicago is like, but first I kind of want to profile what it's like you know, working at The Onion, as that's been the majority of your working experience. and. And it's, you know, it's one of those, like, beloved, like, media entities that I'm sure the Brian community will be curious about how it kind of works behind the scenes, you know? Sure. yeah. Um, so, I guess just, like, broadly, like, you know, how did working there even come about? Uh, wow. Come about is interesting. So, I knew The Onion was in Chicago, and I... Well, that's, a, that's the first step. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I, I lived... I'm from Kansas City originally, and I graduated from Mizzou, and uh, my girlfriend was a year younger than me, and she had one more year to do, so I stayed in Columbia, and I got a full-time job there to start paying off my college loans, but knew that I was going to quit that job after one year. And we were like, all right, let's move up to Chicago. And I had been eyeing The Onion for months. It was sort of my, like, hey, I want to go there. That's, like, the perfect place. Have you been a fan of The Onion for a while? Yeah, like your, my whole when you're, yeah, yeah, my whole okay. life. Yeah. Um, and there were no jobs for, like, that, that whole year. There's nothing on their site. So I figured, you know, I'd move up here, probably move up here freelance, get some gig, and eventually try to make my way in. Just so happened, right when I moved up, literally a week after I moved up, I checked their page and they had a production assistant job open. And it was like, all right, I'm going from a full-time gig to a production assistant job. Probably not the best thing, but I really wanted to work there, so I applied for it and I got it, uh, which was huge. And then, you know, the rest of his history got promoted on up and then uh, associate producer, producer, director, and yeah, so what a, So what does the even application look like for a fellowship? I don't even think... There, I don't think there was anything other than just submit your resume and your reel. In a reel, okay. So yeah, yeah. For a producer, that then, was all yeah. it was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it, even the reel was like, if you don't have one, don't send it. Because the interview was like the most important thing for sure. So if you're you're already in Chicago, they're gonna interview face to face. Like, yeah. do they do like remote Skype kind of video conferencing interviews for other potential people? Or they didn't. They wanted to have it be local. That was the thing I later found out after I worked there for a while. They at least who was working there when I was working there was not a big fan of hiring. Uh, people who were not from Chicago in certain departments. If the only department where they would hire from out of city or out of state were strictly like writing fellows, because uh, that fellowship quite often would be people from wherever, and they'd come yeah. in and do that fellowship. That fellowship would then end. If there was room to bring them on full time, they would. If not, then those fellows probably move back to wherever they come from and yeah, yeah, yeah. apply for whatever from there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, w 
So would you recommend then just like these fellowships to be kind of like the best way for any Brian out there who's interested in working at The Onion to kind of get the, like their foot in the door and kind of just like get there really? Yeah, from the, I mean, so specifically from the writing perspective, I, as someone who was not on the writing staff but worked heavily with the writing staff, yeah. uh, I can say, man, I don't know if any of them got into the writer's room without doing the writing fellowship first. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and so, I, and, I, and I'm, I have like a general knowledge of what that fellowship is like from the writing side is that they usually, I don't know how it is every year, but as a rule of thumb, it's usually like twice a year they yep. put it online. Um, so if you are interested in, in applying to this fellowship, you just got to keep an eye on their website where they post it. And it's like, it's like twice a year. Yeah, basically. it's like January and July. So I think the fellowship application is due like April or May-ish for the spring. would be the upcoming one. I think the next, then after that, it's like October or November. Yeah. Um, something like that, roughly. And so then they, you know, they, they brought you, you were in the fellowship and then... On the production side, it's not as it's not like the writing fellowship where it seems like it's like the the, the math is like it's hard to get full time. On the production side, it's a little bit easier, but it's still pretty hard. I'm imagining. Well, the, the, yeah, it was definitely hard. The production side of the Onion changed in the three years I there was there. They were dealing with like as everyone is with media is like how to make money off videos and yeah. whether to make money one way or to go fully YouTube or Facebook or whatever and. So they were trying to staff up a bunch of people at the time. Um, and more specifically, what I was really interested in is they were going to branch into more long-form content, which eventually they pitched a lot of that stuff around L.A. and it, they didn't get money to make those <laughs> projects. But, um, yeah, I mean, they've, they've gone in a couple different directions. I, I'm sure we'll touch on it later, but some of the stuff they eventually ended up doing a lot of were more podcasts, which uh, some of that I worked on and some of that they're now doing now. They're, they've got a daily podcast right now. I, I, yeah, I was... The Topical. I, the Topical, yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. haven't listened to it yet, but I put it on, like, a, my list of, like, things to check out. I was still there. To, believe it or not, the pilot for that was done. I produced the pilot for that. I don't think the one that came out, but, like, the original pilot for that was done in 20... End of 2018. So, like... Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. So Long, like, long building time there. Yeah, long time to, to get it to get it out because originally it wasn't there wasn't any paid money behind it um so you're you're okay you're off you're eventually brought in full time off the fellowship and you're there at the onion um and i feel like just most people that are like from like their idea of the onion they, they have no idea what it's actually like you know behind the scenes because it projects it projects this like hilarious image just of like you know america's finest news source of like a massive institution of journalism but like you know how large actually is the enemy because like i mean most comedy websites are pretty damn small you know um when i was there the largest we got from a cre so i know the numbers pretty well because we unionized <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh within the union was everyone who was creative and that was about 100 and now i think it's down to 60. okay yeah. uh but then i can't tell you exactly how many people were like on the marketing like we had like brand managers. We're on like the brand side. Yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. Uh, 
specifically on like the client relationship side. Yeah. I think all combined at one point it was like 150 to 200 max. Oh, that's I, a little bit bigger than I thought. But, um, okay. But, like put like probably 150, but I think now I'd be surprised if everything combined pushes 100. Because that also included Clickhole at the time. Because it like when I was working there. Onion, Clickhole, AV Club, and the Takeout were all Onion Inc. Technically, yeah. So this is before it got b- bought by like a Spanish company, Univision, right? This is when we were owned by Univision. Oh, this is when you were owned by. Univision. Yeah. Okay. And then eventually sold to a private e- private equity company, which is a whole thing. But we'll get it. We'll get. We'll we'll sure, touch sure, on sure. that towards but the just end. How many people yeah. who work there? Uh, if you're saying Onion Inc. about 150. If you're saying the Onion editorial, there yeah, were editorial. Like 20 writers, and then that's more what I'm talking about. Is like the creative side of the Onion. Creative side of the Onion. There's like 25 writers. Yeah, it's small. What was the culture like at the office? Uh, it was young. That is like the number one word I'd use to describe it. <laughs> is it as young as you, as someone would describe like a tech company? It is, but I don't think it's young in the same way. Like, I don't think anyone at The Onion was ever trying to be cool, and I've never worked in tech, so I can't, like, <laughs> I'm sorry to anyone who works in tech who, like, doesn't agree with that uh, <laughs> stereotype, but, like, that is sort of the tech stereotype, and The Onion is not that. It's a lot of very yeah. down-to-earth people, so yeah, young, yeah. but, you know. I think, yeah, it, I think it's tech is the stereotype is, like, they're, like, emotionally stunted kind of people. <laughs> Fair. That are good at one thing and not necessarily good at other things. What you, what you just said is, like, a lot of well-rounded uh, people who have, like, good worldviews. Everyone basically. at The Onion were some of the nicest people. And good worldviews is the best way to put it. Very well thought out. Uh, just well-spoken people. Uh, very nice people. You're not going to find very many bad people within those walls. Is it, a, is it like, a everybody kind of goes home after work? kind of a place or is it like everybody uh, or do, we, do people go out to drinks afterwards people, or is it kind of people definitely hang out it's not like uh, like hey let's go to the bar down the street uh, like cheers 1980 type place <laughs> but um, there are definitely groups there's definitely cliques a lot of people hang out it's funny in Ukrainian Village where we are right now in Chicago oh yeah and we're at we're at what is it Tuman's Tap Tuman's Tap it's funny I, I didn't do this on purpose but I mean I live two like I could walk you to like five different writers houses like oh right around here yeah, yeah, yeah. most most of the people who work at the onion live in this neighborhood um because yeah like the onion I, I looked up actually where their office was and it's like uh yeah it's just it's pretty Chicago. central yeah it's pretty like central like I imagine it's kind of an expensive like address in Chicago, but I don't know. I don't know the real, I don't know the market here. It's like, it's not crazy expensive, but it's not cheap. It's like, it's an older building. There's a lot of places like that in Uh, Chicago where the older buildings have been fixed up enough to where companies move in, but they're not fixed up so much that a company like that can't afford it, you know? So they're not part of like the Chicago architectural tour. No, no, There's the Onion offices. No, no, no. (laughs) In fact, you can walk by the building. They took all the signs off the buildings. So you don't even know what it is. Oh, oh okay. Because <laughs> they have they they have the top floor of a seven floor story building. Okay. But yeah, not to get like too deep into like the Onion history, but like they're like originally from like a as like a newspaper in like Madison, from Wisconsin. Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, then 
then, then went to New York, came back to Chicago, wanted to get back to their Midwestern roots. But they're like kind of they're known as like the Chicago like institution now. Like I think yeah. I think most people associate the Onion with Chicago for the most part. Yeah. Well, one thing that's really interesting is they. Ugh, I'm probably gonna butcher this, and I'm sure there's plenty of people who work there who could do a better job of telling this history. But <laughs> they moved to New York just like maybe not weeks, but like months before 9/11. So like just before 9/11. So um, you know, and everyone in New York it, during that time that affected them greatly but it was weird being the new kids on the block for them it, yeah so um so you know, the onion obviously is famous for its written like stuff but you know they actually you know they do a lot of like a lot of people know they do a lot of funny videos and audio stuff that people should be paying attention to which brian here has been a part of yeah um, he's parodied like sports radio shows a true crime podcast investigative news segments film review shows diet instructionals cinema behind the scenes videos made me think how like producing for the onion is kind of unique because the production of quality is is so important to satire because like to parody these things they have to like kind of imitate them be indistinguishable from these things i'm wondering like did you ever find this like created expensive uh, video and audio challenges as um, from the production side to imitate at this level yeah it's a really that's a really good point so uh Expensive, yes. Sometimes we'd run into stuff that was just either too expensive to do, or we had to find ways to do it cheaper. So, like, we can't necessarily do things if they're not going to feel satirical and look like the thing. Yeah, if that's if that's the question, then the answer is yes, 100%. Everything <laughs> at the end of the day, like the biggest question was seeing if something matched the source. Yeah, like, 100%. So, if there was an idea that had to do with like doing some insane like 1917 one or shot for like all this shit, you're oh, like, yeah. you're like, no, no, no. We it can't do those ideas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like you learn, everyone learns pretty quickly. Like so the production what, feasibility is basically. Yeah, and and to be, and and just to go back to what you were saying, like we would never have done anything that felt like it didn't properly match and parody the source, because that would not be in the Onion voice, and so yeah. it just just wouldn't do it. And so, like, that is, of my time there, the biggest thing, especially now that I have a few months where I've been doing other work, where I yeah. look back and it's like, that's the biggest muscle I grew, was, like, really understanding a source and how to match that source and understanding what something looks like. Because a lot of people will be like, oh, I want something to be like that. Like, especially in, like, an ad world or something. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. What, what do you want to be like that? Do you want it to be... Sh like, because we'd have to break it down, like, okay, this video is like this it's shot 30 frames per second yeah. we're not going to do it in a different way because that will make it less funny even if the person watching it doesn't understand like can't tell you why it looks different they'll know if it looks different like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah it won't match in the, the joke won't land like all of that visual is 100% necessary no yeah that's, that's yeah that, that, that's well, at least that was our goal I mean I hope we succeed <laughs> no I think I think you did like as far as all the work I've seen on, on your website and everything and, and like the stuff I followed on the on the onion has been that way and it's like the onion kind of famously has had these like things where like uh I'm not being eloquent here. Um, where people have like mistaken onion articles and shit like that for the actual uh, to be an actual news source. Has this ever happened in any of your projects that you worked with on like video or audio side? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, man, 
Which are the ones I'm thinking? Probably anything that was political. Because, like I said, I mean, I mean, everyone knows what the climate's been the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so a lot of the things we'd put out would be just... Polit- like political quote unquote I'm doing air quotes but like not in any way partisan it was like we did one which was like a town hall meeting um and shot it like with an older camera on 30 frames per second second you know made it seem like it was like TV like old TV like newscast type stuff and people thought that was real like yeah I mean that that happens all the time which is funny because that's never like the objective like anyone within the onion the goal isn't to like trick people yeah yeah, yeah. but it's funny that somehow people still do get yeah the onion duped but can you dupe someone if you're not trying to dupe them you know what I mean so like I don't know it's an interesting dynamic yeah it's a weird thing where it's like you have to assume a a certain amount of like just media intelligence of an audience but then you eventually you always like realize like oh no there there isn't that basic level of awareness like some people just don't have a media diet where they're aware of things that are satirical so it's I feel like, yeah, every once in a while you're just, like, refreshed with that, that knowledge, you know? Yeah. Of like, yeah. Some people just aren't aware. Definitely. <laughs> that satire exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some people do not understand. Yeah, oh, man. We did a series which was, like, a bunch of talking heads. Um, and we had one video that the title was... Ooh. Uh, it was not, I'm forgetting the title, but it basically was... Um, this man who worked in a coal mine had read a bunch of like feminist theory books and then it was just like a you know two camera setup interview where he was talking like very in depth about these feminist theories and like explaining them in like highly educated manners where he was saying now that I've read these I I understand why I never should have voted for Trump I think the headline was like Trump voter reads feminist theory and uh, and like something something Um, and that one felt very real and a lot of people were like up in arms Um, and it's funny because like it's not like we tried to replicate that video but we did other videos in that same series the same setup not like the same exact headline but that was the one that blew up like that one got millions and millions of views none of the others why do you think that is man if I could tell you if anyone at the onion could tell you why they would like I I mean they'd be doing that all the time I mean because at the end of the day it still is a business like you don't want to be working on things that don't get as many views Um, I mean you want your stuff to be as funny as you want them to be you know the best possible product but you there's also like a benchmarks that you're trying you, to yeah you still have to like keep the company afloat you yeah. know what I mean yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah if I had the answer to that <laughs> that would uh, I would be, be a game changer you'd, you'd, yeah. be like, you'd crack the code to the Facebook algorithm we would, or whatever we would not be sitting in a bar we would be sitting in my mansion yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> drinking god knows what that someone made my own whiskey my own private whiskey that's what exactly. we so how much of the onions uh let's say non-writing based projects are uh, video versus like audio only because 
you've gone into like audio pro- like it I, was a hundred percent video zero percent audio and now it's pretty much flipped entirely entirely wow um i think yeah which is how some people ended up kind of leaving uh but yeah, it's it is pretty much a hundred percent podcast right now. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, but, but in, while in, you were working there, let's yeah. say so, so it was two thousand like fifteen, sixteen ish through two thousand nineteen. Two thousand nineteen. Yeah. During that time frame, was it more video than audio? Over the entire time period, I'd say it was about seventy five percent video to twenty five percent audio. Um, but there was a chunk where it was like yeah, yeah. 95% video. Like there was a there was about a year to two years there where I mean and I was mostly on onion stuff, but I'd, I'd still dabble and work on clickhole stuff and on uh, AV club stuff. Yeah. And so like we I mean it was we it was around that time where every publication was putting out two three videos a day. You know what I mean? So it was yeah, like yeah, yeah. tons and tons just of tons churn, of, churn churn churn. Yeah. yeah. So I mean just in general, Onion Inc was putting out tons of videos at that time. Right. The thing that changed that was uh, the podcast we did, A Very Fatal Murder, mm. which that was which is a good segue because that's what I want to go into now. Okay. <laughs> Like, could you walk us through just a process of, like, how you work on a, worked on that project, like, you know, how early on you were brought into it as kind of, you know, representative of, like, a project that you worked on at The Onion almost? Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I'll dabble, I'll try to talk about both seasons. So we did two seasons. Um, the first season was on everything. It was on Spotify, it was on Apple, it was on everything. And that was the season that did... Uh, particularly well it actually peaked at number one on itunes for a day or two oh shit it it did pretty well it was on a bunch of like year-end lists which was really cool uh the second season um we struck a deal with luminary which was new at the time and this was about a year ago i I mean i couldn't tell i don't even does luminary still exist i don't know i don't Uh, I would see subway ads for it all the time in in New York. I don't know if it still exists. Uh, But, like, we were a part of that group where, like, that second season of that, us and, like, Hannibal Burris and, you know, a dozen other people were like, all right, we're going to be exclusively on this for, like, a year. And and so that second season was, and I think still technically is, exclusively on Luminary. Um, With that being said, you'll notice that the topical, which is now coming out, is not on Luminary anymore. So, as you know, Luminary. Yeah. wasn't wasn't working uh, but both seasons were similar um, they brought me in on the first season much later than they did on the second season okay yeah, yeah. first season there were some shakeups staff wise and uh, a few people were leaving around the, like right before production was gonna hit so the person who was most likely gonna produce it moved over and was gonna direct the whole thing and then he instead of having me like associate producer what was like, hey, you got it, you're producing this whole thing. So I was like, about a month before, was like handed seven or eight scripts and was like, all right, break this down, <laughs> we gotta, <laughs> gotta do it. Which, I mean, it was honestly one of my favorite things I've ever done. It was like, it was like working on a feature, but, you know, in narrative podcast form. It was really enjoyable, really cool project, really enjoyed it. Second season was great too, but the second season was like more episodes, and I was brought in earlier. But then 
all of a sudden the writing was ramped up. Like I was brought in when there were some early drafts of the scripts, and then someone said, "Oh, okay, now we need to record this in a like a month and a half." Whereas like they had written the first season in like four months, so I was like in all those writing rooms. I actually pitched a few jokes and a few things that made it into the season, which was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, I was in the writers' room watching and taking notes, watching those drafts go from really early, you know, scraggly versions of what they were to be, being that full second season. So between the two seasons, like one of the most wonderful experiences I had at the Onion. Uh, definitely the most challenging. There were there were like 80 or 100 hour work weeks in both of those seasons. There were like oh, wow. yeah. working set, like going home on a Friday at like 10 p.m. and waking up the next morning and getting on your laptop in your apartment and working the whole day and looking at casting, looking at like listening to like 60 voices for someone who's gonna say like five <laughs> words. And what's the process for hiring voice actors? Is it is it ever is for that project? And then compared to Onion Projects in general. Yeah. Okay. So that, I mean, because that wasn't the only thing we did that needed it. Um, but it did vary from some of the other things because, like, we would do some projects where we would need voices for, like, VO work. Like, we had a few, we did had a video series where it was, like, uh, satirizing this New York Times YouTube series where they have, I forget their name of it, it it's, like, in a scene or something where, like, the director does a VO and explains why they did what they did in that scene. So we satirized that and that was like the traditional like go out to casting. Well, we had internal casting who would go out to agencies and, produ- and, and uh, agents and whatnot and we'd get like a big list of like anywhere from 20 to 100 you know yeah. people to go through and maybe it gets whittled down if it doesn't it goes to me and I listen to all of them and make notes and make a break it down and me and whether I was directing or someone else was then the director would have final say um, but for A Very Fatal Murder each season had like 75 uh, unique characters so a lot of those characters probably about half of them are people on staff because a lot of them are lines which are like two word lines yeah 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 so we it's didn't like, go out for like a hundred you know it would just be ridiculous to yeah, go through a yeah, yeah. hundred people that makes sense when you know most of the people have a comedy background anyways so you're like alright this is supposed to be a 30 year old woman saying something funny and outlandish we have someone who can fit that what would always be tough and the second season was hard than the first is if we if you have 70 characters and they're all um, 45 or 50 years old because you you can fake that a little bit but you also can't you know what I mean like some of these people you you, you just don't and that goes back to what you said is the onion is a young place (laughs) yeah yeah exactly so it's like you can only you can only do so much of that. So yeah, a lot of a lot of what we would cast externally for voice and especially videos too would be like, all right, we wrote it. They wrote a thing again that was uh, someone who's 75. We definitely don't have anyone who's 75. We're gonna have to cast someone. Yeah. So uh, we have between the Onion and Clickhole, uh, we've worked with or at least seen auditions from every like 50 plus actor and actress in the city of Chicago. I guarantee you, I. If I saw them walk down the street, I've at least seen a uh, seen like yeah. something they've tried out for, <laughs> auditioned for. 
But I mean, like, if you have to cast outside the office, at least in Chicago, I feel like, not counting, maybe, I don't know, with a 50-plus audience, but, like, at least you have, like, I feel like the talent pool here is pretty good. Like, you've got Second City, you have IO, Annoyance, other comedy theaters I'm forgetting, but you have, like, world-class comedy theater yeah. institutions here that are producing, like, great talents. And I don't know how much of that talent is 50-plus, but at least if you had to cast outside of your office, there's a good talent pool here. There's a pretty good talent pool. Like I said, I think the hardest thing was... And I'll even make the number, like, 39 and under was always easy. You know, anyone in their 20s and 30s, there were a ton of people, all, all of them good. Maybe some didn't look the part. Maybe some didn't quite get our voice. I do think there's a lot of people who think they understand the Onion voice, and then they try to be really goofy or really this or really that, yeah. and they're missing what the joke is. So there were a lot of people who I'm like, all right, I can tell you'd be funny in something else, but you don't quite get this thing where you're supposed to be this character who almost isn't you're not having fun you're not funny it's funny from an outside perspective and I think that's hard for a lot of people yeah to, to be like satire it's basically yeah, yeah it's like it to is, be satire it, it's almost easier sometimes like play to, it straight to get people yeah who don't know how to act or don't understand what a sub, uh, set up a punchline is because like if they play into their punchline too hard, that's actually not what we need them to do. So, like, a lot of, like, directing this stuff was a lot of, like... Like, there that's, a, yeah. that's interesting. That's a unique challenge to the onion. I feel it like is, you're, like... There's a lot of telling people to really bring it back down. Which, like, I know actors don't... Actors don't love being like, all right, let's take it down a step. Let's take it down. Like, yeah, getting yeah, that yeah. note, like, six times in a row. But, like, sometimes you'd be like, okay, yeah, you're still way too big, you know, um, yeah, for this Yeah, bit. So, in a very fatal murder, <laughs> the subject of the, the podcast is, like, you know, a very a very hot white girl that that gets murdered. It's, it's, it's hilarious. Out of context, that sounds terrible, but, like, it's satirizing why everybody loves these murder shows. Like, my wife, Alicia... Why are you obsessed with murder? Um, I literally bought my significant other a uh, a Patreon for Christmas. I bought her a, a Patreon account or, or subscription to Crime Junkies. So I'm right there with you. I understand. But I couldn't help but notice that you know her boyfriend in the in the in the mur- is named Brian. So now I have, to add, I have to wonder, did you sneak that name in, Brian? What? <laughs> the funny thing about that is I did not sneak that name in. I have never. Uh, I. It was most likely named after me. Not because... No, 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 not... Oh, oh, I No, no, I don't mean it like that. Uh, just quite simply because... I was like close enough to the thing, but I was not writing it at that time. But I was working closely with the person who wrote that draft. So someone that she just used my name. She it was she not, was she was giving it as almost an homage of friendship. To we you. all used each other's names frequently and things. But yeah. but okay. So to contextualize, also to contextualize in the in the show. Brian, the host, often says, like, you know. I also could be wrong. I, I could also just be so... Brian is characterized... <laughs> ignore Brian here. Brian is characterized as, like, the total package. He's talking about Haley's boyfriend, Brian, the one with the great hair and eyes you could get lost in. I'm sure you remember him. Brian's a really great guy. This was my first hint that the Bluff Springs Police Department had mishandled the case. Visit our website for more information about the show and to check out Brian's senior pictures. They came out great. 
fuck? At one point, the host says, "Don't." I don't know what Haley. Why Haley was wearing another guy's class ring, even though Brian was the total package. He is also a character who is a complete, entire dumbass. So if anything, <laughs> if 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 the people who I'm friends with wrote this and named the character Brian because of me, I was partially offended because you can look past all those other things. This character was an idiot, like a dummy. <laughs> he eventually dies in the series trying to, like, if I recall, jump a, a truck. Don't spoil it. <laughs> hey, I'm wrong. It's been out two years. Yes. Do you know or have any insight into how character names are determined on wide? Um, is there no like is there like a random name generator or do people okay so it depends <laughs> on what like there were videos that I did that since I was producing and editing it I just came up with the name myself uh, and put it in there and then I'd run it you know by who was directing it at the time and they were like yeah cool that's fine that works or they'd be like oh I don't like that name and then eventually I was directing things and I would pick the name if it wasn't picked already um, if it's an important thing in a series and the whole writer's room is coming up with the names there is definitely a group of you know whoever's whether it's like, like for a very fatal murder, not every writer on the writer staff at the Onion worked on it. It was a select few. I, I couldn't tell you how who all from the staff is working on the topical right now. Um, but yeah, if it's like an important name, they're gonna come in and they're gonna probably all be like, "All right, come on Monday, and everyone come with ten names for this character and figure it out." Um, but if it's like a small throwaway name, normally it's like someone says something, someone else goes, "Oh, that's how about this?" and it gets a laugh and you go with that. So it kind of depends how important it is. So, so you weren't in a room where the Brian was proposed for a laugh? I was not. No, I should I should text my friend Katie. She will most likely say, uh, I don't know, I had to come up with 70 names and I saw you every single day and I came up and I saw I used your, your name, you asshole. Like, it's another question about a very fatal murder. Um, I was wondering why... What was the choice? With, do you know if there was a decision about why there would be satirical ads there versus like just real ones in terms of just the business decision there? I can't tell you every step of that decision, but what I can tell you is that they were really happy they did it. Yet they also realized that it was a <laughs> it was a real big missed opportunity to make money off the show. Okay. So the first, I mean, to be completely realistic about it, those I mean, I mean, I could talk about those ads forever because the ads were some of the most. I mean, they're hilarious. Was, they're yeah, some yeah, of the funniest yeah, yeah, yeah. things in the whole series. No, they're really, um, they're, yeah, they're really funny. Um. This episode of A Very Fatal Murder is brought to you by Complete Meal. Complete Meal delivers perfectly portioned fresh ingredients to your home, along with professional chefs to cook them, spoon them into your mouth, and move your jaw in a grinding motion. No more guesswork and stress when it comes to making, eating, and digesting dinner. Complete Meal chefs will even let you know when it's time to say, mmm, good, and I'm full. Complete Meal. And so everyone loved them. So in the second season, they said, we have to put these in here no matter what. But in the second season, by way of being on Luminary, there was also places for real ads. So, or there would have been, so it was a really confusing thing because it was like, how do you do this now that we've created a world where, where the ads are a joke? So like, yeah. just to go show you a little bit into like yeah. how that satire at the onion works, like, 
that was keeping people up at night trying to figure that you know some of that stuff out like no, I, it has to work in the world you know? yeah, so once you distribute a, a very fatal mirror is produced it's out there in the world like for something like podcasting now we're Onion is going, audio or whatever, which has very opaque metrics, like, how would the Onion determine if, it, if it's successful or not? That's a really good question, and I, I do think that if you ask me or you ask uh, the CEO of Geo Media, which is the parent company that owns all of Gizmodo and Onion Inc. websites, or, or you even ask the managing editor of The Onion, or, you know... You could ask eight different people, and I think they would all say maybe the metrics are a little different uh, because their job depends on it in a little different way. Like, at the end of the day, of course, it is a capitalist society. If someone, if it's making money, the, the you know, the head of these parent companies is going to keep greenlighting things. But I think also from, like, a creative standpoint, everyone who's a part of the creative it more matters that that just the reception is good, and that's hard to quantify from a metric standpoint. Oh, like, totally, totally. You know totally. what I mean? So it, it, it gets really convoluted. Yeah, and so from that standpoint, it had, like, good critical reception. Like, it had, like, good... Yeah, critically re- received very well. Um, the first season, you could slice it a few different ways. Like, it it was on all these uh, best year-end lists. It yeah, was number yeah. one on iTunes for, uh, like, a few days. And that's it super was, fucking funny, bottom it, line. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it... I'm pretty sure... I can't guarantee you this. Pretty sure it lost the company money. Because um, how do you make... You know, there wasn't any paid money behind it. Our, like I just told you, all our... All our ads were fake ads, yeah, so yeah, no yeah. one's paying, you know, yeah, per yeah, click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, it was mostly spent. Um, if anything, you could say it was a big long pilot for that second season. Um, and Luminary was a sponsor. That's you know all I can probably say about that. But, yeah, yeah. Um, is is that juice worth that squeeze? Like, is that how you do that? So yeah, it is complicated, and I think it's a, a landscape which every media company is trying to figure out every day. Every day, uh, you know. No, yeah, their the, life. yeah. So for video projects as well, uh, how much did like stock footage ever come into play and under constraints, like for just production wise? Oh man, you would not believe how much uh, stock footage I've had to uh, sift through for certain things. Um, God, we did one video that, oh man, what was the, it was like a Now This parody, and I think the video title was something like, why you should let your, why you should have your, take your blender and have it just fucking rip one or something, like, rip your blender, god damn, I'm so bad at remembering headlines, I'm the worst person (laughs) of anyone who's ever worked at The Onion at remembering headlines or titles, which is like the whole point of working there, so I'm a very terrible ex-Onion employee, Um, but (laughs) anyways, that project was like, literally a minute and a half of video of blenders, but we had written beats in there, and it was like, okay, what of this are we gonna have to shoot, and what of this is stock? So there was literally three days where I went through like every stock video possible of um, 
of videos of blenders, people using blenders, compiling it, us looking at those blenders and then saying, all right, this works for this beat, this works for that beat, all right, now we're going to have to go shoot this stuff. And then I went out and I shot random stuff of certain, of co-workers, like that was one which was easy, we just got co-workers uh, to just shoot. So yes, a lot of stock. Or failed stock. There was a lot of stuff where we didn't think we would need to shoot it, and then we'd go through stock, and it did not. Again, back to the thing. It's like, oh, this doesn't work. It's too, too goofy, too funny, too uh, not off source. And then we would be like, shit, now we have to shoot this. So there was that as well. What's the weirdest thing you've ever had to procure for a production? I don't know if this is the weirdest thing, but this is the best story. Okay, that's so, perfect. So we were gonna do a video. Again, in the, that now this type series, where I believe the headline was something like East Saint Laurent releases shirt with cool shirt with flames on it, <laughs> and we thought it was it was our favorite thing internally for a few months because we had to get our graphics de- department to design the shirt and have this stupid shirt with flames on it. So we designed this black shirt, black T-shirt with flames coming up the bottom and we had I had I had gone to all these talent agencies to get models I had gone like I went through everything I got I I went through like pictures of male models picked them out we had gone to our small uh, our larger studio we had figured out how we were gonna like put up like a video board behind to kind of do that style where because we were like where the hell can we shoot this Uh, so we had like a a white psych studio where we're gonna like have like video shot on the back and then turn like it's a, a whole thing we were a week out from shooting and I, w- I forget what detail led me there but I went to the East St. Laurent website and they had a black t-shirt with flames on it that looked exactly like ours no joke the only only difference was ours were flames that were red yellow and orange and theirs were just red it was the I'm not kidding the exact same shirt it made me feel like I was losing my mind to go are we are we and we we had to kill comedy or is this real we literally I mean we killed it of course we had to kill it but it was just the most (laughs) fucking bizarre thing cause like all I was doing was trying to get a fucking shirt with flames on it but we had to go through this whole process to design it and this whole process to make the shoot and then it died because it was real and it was just like man that was died because it was real is like that is funny yeah that's the most metal thing in the world I should get that tattooed on my forehead let's just linger on that for a second here Um, (laughs) (laughs) so have you worked on uh, branded projects at the onion is there a split between editorial and, and, and like branded side of things there at the end. Yeah, there is. It, it's actually a pretty um, firm split. Um, Onion editorial for the most part doesn't work on any of the branded well, any of the that's where like your definition of what's uh, branded and what's um, commercial you know, content is is like a little bit of a weird line. So if there was something that was specifically Onion editorial in the Onion voice, they would work on it. But if it was a thing that we were doing that seemed to be more um, 
commercial style, which was most of what that branded world looked like, our Onion Labs division did or still does work on it. Um, so there was basically a group, and that, that varied at one point. I, I couldn't. You know, a group of five to ten people who, uh, more agency back, strict agency background who were working on that. Because that stuff very much so had to, you know, follow that, you know, that, that, that world and timeline. You had, to, you had to have a brand manager or who, whoever go and, and talk to whichever brand we're working on something for. And some of the stuff they would do would be... Uh, you would never know it was for you know never know it was onion stuff because like onion labs would make some commercials yeah. like there was like a for like a speed stick commercial that you probably saw always on ESPN and that was an onion labs piece but then there was stuff that was more onion branded um, content and yeah so I mean it's a weird world <laughs> it was very very gray but also in some ways very strict <laughs> black and white what would be like your favorite and like least favorite part of the job just like in general just like if you can remember back to like day to day God, it's gonna sound very, very cheesy. But the favorite. If it's true, it's true. Genuinely, the best thing about The Onion was like the people you're working with. Um, as someone who's worked at other places before and other places after, um, the people there are very, not only nice, great people, but just incredibly intelligent human beings. Um, so you're consistently challenged by everyone and not in a way where they come to work and they're like, you know, wagging their finger at you like, I'm challenging you, but you're just forced to like look within and be like, okay, how do I elevate myself? Um, so that's a great thing. I think the the worst part about it was the realities of being a comedy, working for a comedy company, you know, a media company at all in um, the internet society that we live in currently in a capitalist world <laughs> where it's just hard to figure out how to make money as that company and I think that was hard on a lot of people um, and, and you know I'm not going to get into crazy amounts of it but we unionized there were things going on there were, as you know we have touched base a little bit there was buying and selling of the company there were parent companies there were things and I think that was hard on a lot of people the, the, real is, the realism coming from the ap actual capitalistic <laughs> Uh, uh, needs of a company to make money. That 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 shit was hard. Um, so I was just wondering how. Okay, so here's that question that uh, you can pass. How do Onion employees generally feel about Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> Not good. I, uh, yeah, I'll say that. I don't work there anymore. <laughs> Not good. No do one likes Facebook. Okay, okay. <laughs> do you think the owning will survive the next 10 years? I think it's really hard to guess because I left right around the time when we were getting new management, and yeah. I also don't know what it's like to, to be a to work in a private equity company or make those decisions but yeah, like yeah, yeah. If, if all of these if everything bad happens worst case scenario the onion can and should still exist as five to ten writers no ceo no uh brand managers no nothing like if 
at the end of the day, if they really need to be five to ten people in a room writing ideas and putting them on the site in the most bare Is bones, there someone there? I don't think the onion's going to die before I do. Or if okay. it does, it's because the world has changed so drastically that I can't even fathom it. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. It's yeah. so drastically different that it's like, yeah. well, not only does the onion not exist, but like... Like, I don't fucking know. Like, like grocery stores don't exist. Like, we all just live in our okay, little, we I live like in that. our little pods That's and we're made up of reassuring. Goo. The onion will not cease to exist before these things. Okay. I like that answer. Believe it or not. So now that you're freelancing, are you looking to do more uh, directing versus producing work? Or are you kind of open to... Um, that's the thing I'm kind of learning as I'm going because I've realized producing is a bit different I mean, I mean, I always knew it to an extent, but producing is a bit different wherever you go. And people can find your work at, okay, so brianpetkoff.com is spelling P-E-T-C-O-F-F. Am I spelling that right? My name is Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Petkoff, P-E-T-C-O-F-F. Originally, when my (laughs) great, great Bulgarian grandfather... Oh, Bulgarian, okay, that's their heritage here. uh, Well, I'm mixed, because my mom's side, I'm very Polish and Belgian, Uh, but my dad's side, his, 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 his... Is that why we're in the UK... Ukrainian village right now. Uh, n- no, but also I do feel very much at home here, which is very <laughs> funny because there's like I live down the street from a very old Polish deli, which has like pierogies and ponchkis and stuff. And okay, like, okay, okay. Yeah, growing up in Kansas City with a mom who's very Polish, who's from Detroit, which originally was a very Polish area. Yeah. Like for piro- pierogi, like no one in Kansas City would, knew what pierogi day was. It was yeah. like Fat Tuesday or whatever. So, like, my mom would always go find pierogies. So, like, I grew up eating raspberry pierogies, not understanding that that was, like, specific. So, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, probably to an annoying amount. I'm My girlfriend, who has no connection to any of those things, gets annoyed when I, like, bring home, like, a Polish sausage that I'm like, oh, we're going to eat sausage and kraut for dinner tonight. Yeah, I'm, so I'm a lunatic uh, in that way. But, but uh, yes, Petkoff. Brian Petkoff. <laughs> Originally, originally spelled P-E-T-K-O-V, uh, but uh, they changed it to be spelled P-E-T-C-O-F-F. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because you will see other pet coughs in the world um, with different, with their last names spelled differently, and I guarantee you I am in some way related to them. There is a Dick Petkoff spelled P-E-T. <laughs> K-O-F-F, he just simply Americanized it differently, who uh, sells insurance down the street from my girlfriend's parents, and he has <laughs> these uh, insurance posters on, on, uh, on, on what billboards. What <laughs> He's got Sorry, these, po- no. no, it's just so funny, he's got, he's got these posters all over the, the Minneapolis-St. Paul's area. And I drive by it all the time, just laughing to myself, because one of these days I'm going to go into his office and try to figure out if I'm related to this fucking guy. But yes, that is who I am. That is my name. You can find my stuff there. I'm more active on uh, Instagram than anything else, because Twitter is boring to me. Uh, so yeah. Uh, oh, my, and my, my Instagram is, the handle is C-O-F-F-P-E-T. Let's get into the Brian questions. Do you know why your parents named you Brian? Um, I don't know exactly why they did. I, I, I believe they just said they liked it, but I, I mean, I'm sure they have a reason, and I'm positive they've told me, but I... But why versus an I? 
different ideas. I do have that. My mom just wanted it to be different. That is definitely 100. She was just it. like, "All right, all right. I like Brian, but why?" I'm gonna spell it the different way. Yeah, definitely. And and, and nothing against the the I Brian's in the world, but I have definitely as a Y Brian, uh, fully embraced being the uh, less common. Oh, um, okay. I see. Yeah. Not in a way to 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 be in any way. Um, <laughs> Detrimental yeah. to the eye brain. Or derogatory, no, no. you know, I don't think hey. negatively about the eye brains. I just quite simply have embraced um, the fact that most of the time people will spell my name brain, and I'll say, no, 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 not only did you spell... Double put, misspelling. Put the, yeah, not only did you put those letters in the wrong way, but you didn't get the letters correct. And so, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's uh yeah, it's sort of a double thing there and they Um what have you named? Pets or children? Anything? I do have a pet. Uh her name is Penny. I've had her since high school. Her <laughs> full name was Penny Lane. Uh, which is just quite simply because I was really into the Beatles when I was 16. But yeah, she's a basset hound and she is also the color of a penny. She's like copper, which is very funny uh, because people definitely think I named her Penny for a totally different reason than I did. Which I'm, I'm fine with that sort of, uh, I guess, double entendre or whatever you would call it. Two-part question, dead or alive. Uh, one other Brian to meet, who would it be? And favorite Brian of all time. Meet and favorite. I think favorite Brian of all time is actually really hard. Because my immediate answer when you say which Brian would you like to meet is Brian Cranston. Um, sure. But I don't know if I have a favorite Brian of all time. Um, you know what? The Brian I would most like to meet I'm changing it. My favorite Brian is Brian Cranston. The Brian I would most like to meet is Brian Griffin because I quite simply would like to be uh, in a cartoon someday. Oh, a little bit of a dodge. Who wouldn't want to meet a, a dog that can talk and is a cartoon character? I think what I'm really telling you is I want to be turned into a cartoon. Trivia question, Brian trivia question here. Um, I was driving around uh, Chicago today. I saw some billboards for a Brian. Uh, Brian Urlacher, it's for his hair transplant. <laughs> oh my god, that was amazing. Yep. You, I didn't even ask the question. He got yep. it, okay. Didn't so, have to ask that, know what that is. You could have said Billboard Brian and I would have, yeah, that would have been <laughs> Oh it. my god, that was amazing. You could have okay. said Billboard and I probably still would have guessed the Brian Urlacher <laughs> billboards with him. Okay, harder question for you. Yeah, right? let's hear it. Uh, if you had to choose the first name other than Brian, what would it be? Do you have an affinity for another name? Uh, yeah, and it's my middle name, William. Uh, oh, okay. So okay. my middle name is uh, sort of more of a family name, actually. So my grandfather was named William, and my mother's brother... Um, William Petkoff, okay. ...was named William... Yeah, well, it was on my mother's side, actually. So it was William Jackson. And, again, Jackson was the Polish side, so it was... Jago uh, Jakovich, I believe I'm pronouncing it well. I'm very bad at pronouncing things that I should heritagely, or from a heritage standpoint, be able to. Um, but yeah, William was a very traditional family name, so that was my middle name. So yeah, I, if, if I had to pick, it would be my middle name, William. Overall, would you say that being a Brian has been a plus or a minus in your life? I'd say it's been a plus. I, I genuinely think that. There's people I know who are like, oh, I hate my name, or I don't like my name, or it does nothing beneficial to me. I actually think my name has been beneficial to me. In fact, today is a perfect example. I mean, it, 
That's the correct answer. Brian is a great name. I am, I am happy that my parents picked that name. You're a Y, Brian. I am. But do you have any memorable instances of your name being misspelled as Brain? Double misspelling. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, memorables, I guess I can't pick one out right now, but I went to school... Uh, in in uh, grade school and middle school, I went to a school which was like, you know, smaller than a big public school because it was a small Catholic school, but yeah. it was still bit a big Catholic school. So it was like 70 people in my class, yeah. and three of them were named Brian, yeah. and I was the only one with a Y. So point being, <laughs> my name was always spelled with a with an I, or someone didn't know how to spell any of our names and spelled it Brain. So yeah, I got that all the fucking time <laughs> no matter you know uh, like i like to a point all where i was like never yeah. never was my name spelled correctly oh, whether it was fuck. one of those two whether it was spelled as the name brian but not how i spell it or just not the right word at all it was never spelled well let's, let's just end with any message that you would like to say to all the brian's out there Basically, I, what I want is for every Brian out there to, uh, to to prop me up and and put me as your king of kings and make me the, the king of the Brian's. Uh, and so I, I guess my message is for all my fellow Brian's uh, to bow down to me, the, the Brian King. I mean, <laughs> what if they are uh, unaware? <laughs> yeah, we, we don't... We don't always have to know what we believe in. You just believe in it. And what I am telling you is that I am what you believe in. Hey, that's the best answer I can give. I don't know. I like it. Okay. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thank <laughs> thanks, you. Thanks, Brian.